Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. It's been six years since an oil company headed out across the Morrow Prairie of Big Cypress National Preserve in Florida with vehicles weighing as much as 30 tons each to search for oil reserves. Signs of that work continue to show on the prairie, despite stringent National Park Service requirements for restoring the landscape after the searching was completed. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at the National Parks Traveler. Big Cypress is the country's first national preserve, designated back in 1974. Located to the north of Everglades National Park, Big Cypress is what's called a split estate. The Park Service owns the surface of the more than 720,000-acre landscape, while the mineral rights are privately owned. Energy exploration and possible development were allowed in the preserve's enabling legislation. But how that exploration is allowed can be a matter of contention. While the National Park Service sounds mostly satisfied with the restoration work done by Burnett Oil, the National Parks Conservation Association strongly disagrees. The Park Advocacy Group just released a 24-page report, speaking up for this swamp, that points to remaining scars from that exploration work on the preserve. We'll be back in a minute with Melissa Abdo, MBCA's Suncoast Regional Director, to discuss that report. Full of stunning photography and thought-provoking reads, Smokey's Life is a biannual magazine produced by Great Smoky Mountains Association. Members receive it free of charge each spring and fall, and it is available for purchase in retail stores throughout Great Smoky Mountains National Park and online at smokiesinformation.org. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. Adventure awaits. Explore the beauty of our national parks with Explorer Maps. Whether you're captivated by the breathtaking landscapes of Yellowstone or the wild shores of Acadia, Explorer Maps has a perfect map to connect you to your favorite place. Visit ExploreMaps.com to find your next adventure. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. Welcome back to The Traveler, Melissa. It's great to be back with you, Kurt. Hey, Thank before, you for having me. No, I appreciate your time. Um, before we get into your update on the impacts of uh, oil exploration on Big Cypress National Preserve, Let's talk about the preserve. I mean, I've only visited it once, but I believe you've grown up around it pretty much. That's right. So I grew up in South Florida and Big Cypress National Preserve was very much my stomping ground as a child. I have fond memories of going out to the preserve and uh, discovering frogs and the fun, fun wildlife that a kid discovers. And then... Earlier in my career, I had the great 
fortune and privilege of working with a local research and conservation organization that was, we were contracted at the time by the National Park Service to conduct a broad floristic inventory of the preserve. So what that means is that I had uh, the ability to go out as a professional researcher at that time, earlier in my career, to really tromp across the vast wild areas of the preserve and was tasked with identifying essentially all the plant species that occur in the preserve and documenting that for the National Park Service. So through that work, I got to helicopter into some areas, wild remote areas of the preserve, and of course, hike in um, all across the preserve. We have a random GPS points that we'd have to go to every day. And so through that work, I got to know the preserve very well. Um, and of course, I've really appreciated um, not only the plant life, but all the wildlife and biodiversity in the preserve. And of course, the the vital role it plays in the Western Everglades ecosystem. You know, that sounds like an incredible opportunity um, to be able to get out there so often and, and really observe it up close, um, what grows there, what lives there, what what sneaks across the, the prairie at night when nobody's watching. W- what makes the preserve so special from a wildlife habitat perspective? Well, from a wildlife habitat perspective, I would point out that there are just a, a diversity of habitats that occur in the preserve. And in Big Cypress, those habitats, as as across much of the Everglades ecosystem, those habitats are very much defined by the water, the water that spreads across the ecosystem. So you have some habitats, I'll start with the, with the deep water habitats and I'll go up in elevation to sure. the more upland habitats. So in areas of the preserve where you have deep water and what us scientists refer to as long hydro periods, so a period of the year where water is essentially present almost all year round, um, you have habitats like the deep swamps and um, wildlife makes makes its home in those deep water swamp habitats. And if we think about wildlife, including both plants and animals, you can kind of imagine uh, some of the iconic tropical plants like orchids and bromeliads that make their homes in those deep uh, swamp water habitats. Um, so if we go further up in elevation and think about areas that have less water year round, maybe a marl prairie, like some of the vast dwarf cypress prairies that occur in the preserve, um, there so, there's so much wildlife that makes their home in those prairies. So everything from critically endangered uh, Florida panthers, which are one of our country's rarest mammals, to varieties of birds, snakes, all different kinds of wildlife make their home in those um, George Cypress prairies and other prairie habitats across the preserve. Um, and if we think about those prairies, we can also um, bring to mind the image of the river of grass. So there's also hundreds of species of grass and grass lipolites that comprise that um, river of grass that Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, of course, made, made famous that, um, that characterization. And then going further up in elevation where we have less water year round, we have a couple habitats known as tropical hardwood hammocks and then pine flatwoods. 
that occur in the preserve. And of course, there's more wildlife in those habitats. So if we think about the pine lands, you can find our country's rarest and endemic to South Florida bat species, the Florida bonneted bat. And that is found in pinelands of the preserve. It makes its home, um, the bat roosts in the pinelands primarily. Um, so, yeah, all sorts of amazing wildlife uh, that, that makes its home in the preserve and that really relies on the preserve as vital habitat, given how much development surrounds the preserve. Yeah, and it's really um, trying to get your head around all that wild nature, if you will, in South Florida. You know, it's it's bordered on the east by the, the Miami area and then on the, the west, I guess, by uh, Naples. That's right. Yeah, and, and just you've got great population areas surrounding this incredible wildlands. And that it's been able to endure is a testament to nature and to, to how we take care of our lands. I agree with that. I, I think that the fact that the preserve has been able to endure is a testament to nature's resilience and also a testament to the many people from all kinds of diverse backgrounds and different walks of life that have come together over the years to raise their voices and advocate for the stewardship of the preserve and other wild areas in South Florida. And I think South Florida's it certainly was an amazing place to grow up and uh, a wonderful place to be because you have these metropolitan areas. You know, you have the really colorful, awesome city of Miami, where I'm from, uh, just really a stone's throw from a cypress swamp. So right. people have access to these places, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, it's also, of course, a challenge to manage and sustain a natural area that is surrounded on all sides by development. Right, right. And of course, you know, as I said in the introduction, um, you know, Big Cypress is adjacent to Everglades National Park, um, which is another large expanse of nature. And, you know, you, you mentioned the endangered Florida panther. And um, it's interesting, to me at least, um, that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has never designated critical habitat for the Florida panther. Is it safe to say that the preserve's landscape, coupled with that at, at Everglades, is critical for the species' survival? I believe it is. Um, yes, that's correct. The, the service, the Fish and Wildlife Service, has not designated critical habitat uh, However, the preserve is absolutely a vital habitat and is considered by scientists to be a primary habitat for the panther. We know from um, panther tracking data that there are areas throughout the preserve. So I, I was talking about the preserve's diverse different habitats earlier. And so we know that panthers traverse all different kinds of habitats within the preserve from pine flatwoods to hardwood hammocks, to those vast cypress prairies within the preserve. And indeed, we also know that um, panthers very much occupy areas of the preserve that are currently threatened by oil development and also occupy areas um, that were previously damaged by the oil explorations of 2017 and 2018. But yes, in a nutshell, the preserve is of vital importance 
onto the long-term survival of the Florida panther. Right, right. And, of course, there, there are many other animal and bird species there, fish species that uh, time won't allow us to get into. But, you know, you mentioned about uh, the rich um, number of orchid species in Big Cypress. And uh, I believe it's home to the ghost orchid, right, along with 29 other orchid species? That's right. It is home to the ghost orchid. Yes. Um, I was fortunate way back when to, to actually co-discover some new subpopulations of the ghost orchid in Big Cypress. So I, I know and love the ghost orchid habitat in Big Cypress well. And I can share with you that Big Cypress is unique because although the ghost orchid is found in other conservation areas, Big Cypress National Preserve is the only national park site that protects ghost orchid subpopulations. So Big Cypress is of critical importance to the survival of the ghost orchid. And um, the ghost orchid is very much threatened. Um, indeed, we think that it, it is it, it truly needs the protection of the Endangered Species Act in order to ensure its survival. Um, within the preserve, it's threatened, sadly, by poaching, by habitat degradation, and more broadly, by climate impacts. Um, so we know that some of the subpopulations of ghost orchids within the preserve were, they sustained real damage um, from some hurricanes that have affected South Florida in the past decade. And of course, we know that hurricanes are only expected to intensify as climate change uh, continues. And so the uh, survival of ghost orchids is very much um, in a perilous place. And we're advocating strongly for Endangered Species Act protection to ensure the ghost orchid's survival. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because it's it's been about a year now, hasn't it, since um, MPCA and other organizations petitioned Fish and Wildlife to, to list the, the ghost orchid? Yes. So the Fish and Wildlife Service missed their mandatory deadline to make a decision on whether to protect the ghost orchid last January. So the agency currently does not plan to make this required or lawful protection decision for ghost orchids until as late as fall of 2026. And that's almost three years after it was legally required to do so. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. We're talking today with Dr. Melissa Abdo, the Suncoast Regional Director for the National Parks Conservation Association, about uh, Big Cypress National Preserve and oil exploration that was done there back in 2017 and 2018 and impacts of that exploration work. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the national park system for decades to come. You can see their successes at gtnpf.org. Interior Federal Credit Union is pleased to introduce our upcoming seven-month certificate special set to launch on November 1st, 2023. This limited-time offer features a competitive 5.75% annual percentage yield. 
It's a great way to make your savings work harder for you. Please note that this special rate is available for new funds only. If you've been exploring options to grow your savings, remember to mark November 1st on your calendar. We're here to help you achieve your financial goals. Apply for membership at interiorfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com, P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It's also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. So, Melissa, you know, of course, we're talking about big cypress, and uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the, the bald cypress trees that grow in the preserve and which lend their name to the preserve. Um, quite a unique tree. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a really unique tree. If folks have visited um, many areas of the southern United States, will probably have witnessed a bald cypress trees. And they're really unique in the preserve because in the preserve, you have both um, tall cypress trees, but you also have what are known as dwarf cypress trees. So there are many areas of big cypress where you can see relatively low stature or short, thus the name dwarf cypress. And yet those trees can be very, very old. They can even be hundreds of years old, even though they're not tall in stature. So big cypress is, is neat in that you can see different kinds of um, cypress trees. Oh, the you know, there's still there's still bald cypress trees, um, but you can see tall, towering ones, say in a cypress dome habitat, and those might even have um, bromeliad species, so neat species of air plants that are living on them in a it's a it's not a parasitic relationship, it's a symbiotic relationship. Um, you can experience cypress trees with air plants growing on them, or um, even a butterfly orchid. You might spot a dwarf cypress tree in a marl prairie that has a butterfly orchid growing on it. So big cypress is neat because you can see this tree that um, we think of as kind of a temperate species, a cypress tree, and it's mixed with these tropical um, species of orchids and air plants. It can be a really beautiful sight. It really can be because while the, the dominant color of uh, the preserve might be uh, green because of all the vegetation, you do have these incredible splashes of color from the air plants and the orchids. And, uh, you know, I was just taken away with the landscape, um, just just really gorgeous. And um, I'm glad it's in the national park system. Now, we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, <clears throat> flora and fauna. Um, the topography of Big Cypress is pretty important in the, the flow of the river of grass down to the Florida Bay, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so the the topography is important, and I will say that the hydrology and the flow of water across the preserve is of vital importance to the entire greater Everglades ecosystem. 
For example, we know that Big Cypress provides more than 40% of the water flows that eventually make their way into Everglades National Park and then, of course, into surrounding estuaries in Southwest Florida. And to carry that along, we know, of course, that the significant ecological and economic importance of those estuaries. So when thinking about the water flows that come from Big Cypress into the Everglades and then out along the coastline, um, those estuaries are vitally important for sustaining fisheries that tourists um, love to come and see, but there are so many local livelihoods that rely on um, the sustainability and, and long-term integrity of those fisheries in our estuaries. Um, so water flow is not only important within Big Cypress itself, but it has a broader significance for all of South Florida, really. And I'll also add that um, when we think about topography, well, I talked earlier about how near inches in elevation difference in the topography translate to significant shifts in the plant communities and the vegetation, the whole habitat that um, exists in that area. Well, another thing to keep in mind when we're thinking about uh, topography and hydrology in the preserve is also that the preserve um, protects through aquifer recharge, it protects water that's below the ground as well. So there's an aquifer below Big Cypress and that aquifer, and it of course occurs you know, nature doesn't always follow our boundaries, so of course it occurs beyond Big Cypress as well. But that water serves uh, drinking water up to uh, many of the adjacent communities. For example, the large community of Naples relies on that aquifer for much of their drinking water. Right, right. Now, when you took me out into the preserve a few years ago, you know, we walked down across the Marl Prairie and past the, the rotund cypress domes, which are really fascinating um, little uh, pockets in the preserve. And then the hardwood hammocks um, with, you know, leafy cocoa palms and fronded sable palms, live oaks and other woody species. And we also encountered scars on the ground. Um, some of them were 20 or more feet wide in places and running roughly 100 miles these are footprints of the oil exploration that was conducted back in 2017 and 2018, if I recall correctly. And some of these sections are, are referred to as seismic lines um, because of the imprint the, uh, the vehicles made on the landscape. And um, some of them are regaining their vegetative cover. Others, you know, still had rutted troughs um, unnaturally holding water that should have been flowing across the landscape instead of pooling up. Um, certain sites were practically devoid of vegetation despite the preserved subtropical climate and highly diverse botanical collection, as you discussed. Now, the exploration company, Burnett Oil, had an agreement that it would restore the landscape after its work was done. And that brings us to NPCA's report on Big Cypress, speaking up for the swamp, revealing persistent oil and gas impacts on Big Cypress National Preserve. Why did NPCA produce this report? Well, we believe that here we are today on the eve of the preserve's 50th anniversary, which will come about in 2024. We believe that we need to elevate the message that Big Cypress needs to be properly restored and it needs to be fully safeguarded. 
from future threats of oil development. Um, it's unacceptable that here we are today, again, on the eve of this 50th anniversary of the preserve, and more than six years after those devastating oil explorations occurred in the preserve. And yet there has been no authentic attempt at making habitat restoration happen that's been made by the Park Service. And there has not been a, a full enough attempt to hold the oil company accountable to the clearly defined conditions that were laid out in the National Park Service permit that authorized that hunt for oil that occurred back in 2017 and 2018. Yeah, now the, the Park Service <clears throat> will disagree with you. Um, just last week, they told me in an email that it is, quote, continuing to evaluate the results of ongoing monitoring of environmental recovery within the seismic survey operations area as required by Burnett Oil Company's permit for survey. Additionally, the agency told me that reclamation of the operations area, which is separate from the compensatory wetland mitigation requirement, is complete and is currently being monitored annually by a Burnett contractor with oversight by the National Park Service and the state. Recovery appears to be on track. However, the effectiveness of the reclamation, the trajectory of recovery to date, and the sufficiency of mitigation approved by the National Park Service continue to be evaluated. That, that seems to be in direct contrast to, to what you just told me and, and what is contained in this new report. Um, have you sat down with the Park Service with this report to go over your findings and discuss why they seem to have a different opinion? We have absolutely shared the report with the Park Service. And prior to this report, we also have shared a prior reports, although those didn't, didn't uh, com contain all the imagery necessarily that this report contains, but we have shared prior reports with the Park Service that clearly indicate findings that are contrary to um, some of what you just indicated was shared by the Park Service. And so, for example, um, you mentioned a number of things, but one one thing you mentioned was uh, something to the effect that they indicated that reclamation has been completed. Right. Well, the permit that the Park Service issued originally back in 2016 that authorized the oil hunts to take place in 2017 and 2018, that permit specifically had said that reclamation of impacts will begin immediately. And in the same breath, it said that the National Park Service can require the oil company to plant native species in any manner defined appropriate by the National Park Service. Um, however, it's been six years plus since that oil hunt occurred and still the beautiful trees that are the preserve's namesake trees, the cypress trees that we talked about earlier, have not shown signs that they're going to come back. Um, we're talking almost zero regeneration in those damaged areas. So if the Park Service is stating that reclamation is complete, um, what we have observed in a portion of the seismic damaged area, again, the area where the oil hunt took place, um, if we just look at the cypress trees alone, what we're observing indicates otherwise it shows clearly that um, at the bare minimum, 
the company should be responsible for replanting the cypress trees directly in the areas they damaged, since they're not coming back naturally. And the permit from the National Park Service that authorized uh, that seismic uh, oil exploration to take place, it specifically had language in it that empowers the Park Service to require the company to replant a native species. That's just one one example, and, and there are certainly many others. Now, you were the author, the primary author of Speaking Up for the Swamp Report, and you know, in it, as you just said, you strongly disagree with the Park Service. In findings from the survey work, you, you wrote in the report that, quote, the scars left by the seismic hunt for oil persist, influencing factors like water levels within channelized disturbed areas, the regrowth and lack thereof of vegetation, and the persistent visible evidence of vehicular movement through a previously pristine area. These insights demonstrate that there have not been authentic restoration efforts made in these disturbed areas, nor has just leaving nature alone to regrow been a successful approach. Now, did the the Park Service wholesale disagree with your report? Did they say, we appreciate this, we'll take your findings and we'll, we'll look into it? We have not yet received the Park Service's response. So I'm looking forward to having a dialogue with them and understanding how we can hopefully move forward towards a positive outcome for the preserve. I think that NPCA recognizes the great efforts and value that Park Service staff make every day to protect our country's treasured places. And we'd really um, love to, to understand their response and have a constructive dialogue that results in uh, a good outcome for the preserve. That's that's really what's at the heart of all of this. Right, right. Now, when you took me out there, I think it was... Uh... I think it was early in 2020, if my memory serves correct. Um, and as we walked across the prairie and past the cypress domes and the hardwood hammocks, I mean, we found these large tracks, like I said earlier, 20 or 25 feet wide, and where um, trees had been cut down and it was just a, a muddy trail. Is that still an accurate description of what you can find on Big Cypress today? Yes, it is, unfortunately. Our colleagues visited there and, you know, because of, I will say this, because of the remoteness of, and the vastness, frankly, of the area that was impacted. I mean, we're talking about a a 110 plus mile area that was impacted. And for comparison, if you drew a line across the entire Southern Peninsula of Florida from, from Naples on the West Coast to Miami on the East Coast, that would be 110 miles. So the scale of damages that occurred within Big Cypress is that 110 miles plus, um, we believe, we, we still have not received confirmation of the exact mileage that was damaged. But because of both the remoteness and the scale of the damage, it has not been possible for us to inventory that whole site. But what we have seen from the places that ha- where detailed inventories have been carried out year after year is that sadly today, there are still some areas that are almost entirely denuded of vegetation that have that still have no vegetation, and there are pictures in the report. So, folks that um, you know your your audience that might not be interest, as interested in hearing these descriptors, I'd encourage them to go and take a look at the report because there's some really compelling images in there that just 
speak to this, that show you. you so it doesn't take an expert or a scientist to, to um, see the vast difference uh, or, the, or the striking difference in the areas that were impacted and the adjacent um, more pristine and unimpacted areas. So some areas are still completely lacking in vegetation. Other areas, we're finding essentially a more or less a monoculture of one species coming back in these um, channelized areas that were created by those industrial vehicles plowing through. And, you know, that, that almost monoculture it's now replacing what was previously a diversity of, of, you know, you could see ground orchids and all these different grass species and cypress trees. And now we're seeing a monoculture come back. And so, yes, while it's a native species, it is not the same. And, and again, I, I'd also emphasize that, um, you know, seeing a line of cypress stumps stretching into the horizon with almost zero regrowth of cypress trees, then it's not um, what we what we believe constitutes proper restoration or reclamation, and it's there's certainly not um, natural regrowth of the cypress trees happening in the areas that we've observed. So yes, those those areas remain uh, strikingly and alarmingly different than surrounding unimpacted areas of the preserve. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. This is Kurt Repencheck with National Parks Traveler. We're talking today with Melissa Abdo, the Suncoast Regional Director for the National Parks Conservation Association, about a new report she, uh, her, the organization came out with, Speaking Up for the Swamp, Revealing Persistent Oil and Gas Impacts on Big Cypress National Preserve. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Amidst the rustling leaves and fading sunlight, the National Parks Traveler stands at a crossroads. For the past 18 years, we've been your eyes on climate change impacts, guardians against invasive species, and the unwavering voice for parks big and small. But now, we need you, because without adequate funding, we will have to shut down by the end of the year. Through our over 250 podcast episodes, we've explored crown jewels of the park system, as well as overlooked wonders. We've taken you from the shores of Cape Hatteras to the white sands of New Mexico, We've headed up discussions with park superintendents, and we've sat down with seasoned park rangers. We've shared campfire stories, conversed about cookbooks, and gazed at the stars with a dark ranger. Doug Lean of Ranger Doug Acclaim calls the Traveler the NPR of National Park News, the Lonely Planet virtual guidebook to the NPS galaxy. Most small independent and publicly supported news outlets are vanishing in America. Kurt keeps the NPS on its toes and the public informed says Lean, a once-upon-a-time seasonal ranger who spent decades collecting and preserving Works Progress Administration National Park posters. Now, we ask you to close your eyes and picture a world without the National Parks Traveler. As the sun begins setting on our journey, National Parks Traveler humbly asks for your support. As a 501c3 nonprofit, we depend on donations from listeners like you. If this daily coverage is important to you, please stop by nationalparkstraveler.org and pledge a donation. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. 
Show your appreciation at vrpfoundation.org. The Everglades Foundation, the only organization whose sole mission is to restore and protect America's Everglades. Learn more at evergladesfoundation.org. Okay, Melissa, uh, in going through the report, and um, we might be repetitive, but I think it's important to really convey to the audience um, what the landscape looks like today, six, five or six years after this um, exploration work was uh, performed. Of note, the report states that the landscape bears lasting impressions of adverse impacts, soil compaction, deep twisting furrows in the ground, ancient dwarf cypress trees felled with almost zero natural regrowth, and an out-of-place plant communities taking root in the unnatural trenches that now channel across the landscape. And of course, when, when I was out there with you a couple of years ago, um, some of those unnatural trenches um, were, were holding alligators that decided to slough down and enjoy the coolness. Now, we, we talked a little bit about the, the topography of Big Cypress and to get across how important that topography is to help the river of grass flow, the natural flows, these impacts, the, the soil compactions and the, the furrows and the, the muddy trails really have to impact that flow and, and not in a good way. Yeah, that's right. That's right, Kurt. So what we do know is that, um, you know, and, and the, the National Park Service has even written about this, but we do know that the mere inches matter in the Everglades. And for example, when the Park Service wrote about the Everglades ecosystem, I, I forget exactly where I read this, but they wrote about the Everglades ecosystem. They summarized, um, and we stated this, we have this quote in our report. They said that, quote, it's a subtle place where earth, water, and sky blend in a low green landscape where mere inches of elevation produce substantial changes in vegetation and where a great wealth of birds and other wildlife find refuge, end quote. So that's, those are the words of the National Park Service. So they are well aware of the importance of subtle, tiny shift in uh, change of elevation or water levels. And those unnatural trenches and troughs and ruts and channels that persist uh, in the area that was impacted during those seismic surveys of 2017 and 2018, those areas are, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely damaging not only to that particular area, but to the broader ecosystem, because you've got to think about, again, water flow, as you brought up, and while we have not yet carried out any long-term hydrological survey, I don't think one yet exists. I'd love to see that study um, be carried out, but we can certainly reasonably surmise that with all the pooling water and the shift in the hydro period, again, the, the time of the year, the duration of the year where water is held in certain areas, because of that change um, that has occurred in the area that was impacted during the seismic surveys, we can certainly reasonably surmise that there are going to be impacts and, and already have been impacts to the hydrology of the preserve. 
Right, right. Now, back in 2016, when the, the National Park Service authorized um, Burnett Oil to go out across Big Cypress and search for oil, in the, the permit requirements, it mandated the restoration of ruts and vehicle tracks to their original contour conditions during daily seismic survey operations. No differences or deviations in contour whatsoever were permitted to occur. Is the irony lost only on me that the state of Florida, the federal government, have spent millions of dollars to raise the Tamiami Trail to allow for the natural flow of water for the river of grass, and yet these impacts to the topography of the National Preserve have been allowed to go untouched for six or seven years, according to your findings? It's absolutely alarming that this has been permitted to occur. Because yes, as you stated, as you correctly stated, when the Park Service authorized this to happen, their permit specifically stated that ruts, depressions, and vehicle tracks uh, caused by that hunt for oil were to be restored on a daily basis. And there was zero uh, deviation uh, in the natural topography or the natural contour of the land permitted. And yet, in our report, you can see we even include a table in our report where we show how we've measured water levels over the years. And there, the water levels in the rutted areas, um, sometimes they're as much as eight inches different from the surrounding habitat. I mean, eight inches, that might sound um, measly peasly to some in, in different parts of the country, but eight inches in South Florida, we're talking about the difference of one habitat type from another. Um, it's a massive difference for Florida. In other areas, there are only inches of difference. And in some areas, there's almost no difference. So in some areas, um, the, you know, the area is evened out. But the point is that there's so many areas where we have found clear, measured indications of difference um, persisting. And the fact that the Park Service permit did not authorize any difference any change or alteration to the contour of the land is absolutely troubling because this is the very landscape where we have spent billions of dollars at the state and federal level combined um, to restore the hydrology of the greater Everglades ecosystem. And so to permit this to, to be swept under the rug, as it were, um, and not properly resolved is unacceptable. It's been six years since um, the recent round of oil exploration started. Um, it ended in 2018, I believe. Is it too early to anticipate legal action in some measure to try and force the Park Service to live up to that agreement that it signed back in 2016? I think that all options are always on the table for an ecosystem as vitally important as the preserve, but... Um, beyond that, yeah, I, I really can't, I don't have a crystal ball, unfortunately, and, and can't say. Had to ask, had to ask. <laughs> sure. Well, Melissa, thanks for your time today. It's a, a very alarming report that uh, these conditions continue to persist on, on Big Cypress, one of the most breathtaking landscapes in the national park system. 
Um, folks can find Speaking Up for the Swamp, Revealing Persistent Oil and Gas Impacts on Big Cypress National Preserve on NPCA's website, and we'll try and um, link to it in, a, in our um, podcast um, post on Sunday, as well as uh, in a story, companion story. Melissa, thanks again for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope uh, that folks will check out the report and help raise their voices to speak up for the swamp. Thanks so much, Kurt. That's our show for this week. We hope you found it interesting. You can find the report on Big Cypress at npca.org under the News and Resources section, or look for a link on our podcast and feature story. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Parks Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Parks Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.